This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really a joy to be able to serve you and have you here with us. I don't know if you look around a room today and you see this, but we have a problem now. Y'all notice we, don't have almost, we almost don't have enough seats for y'all anymore. Isn't that an awesome problem to have? I mean, just a dream. You know, we're, we're barely four years old. Last week was kind of our, our fourth birthday. And to think that just four years in that we would have been at this place is remarkable. So thank you guys for putting up with being a little bit crowded. All right, I just appreciate that today because we're in the third week of a series that I think is so important. And I really believe that as we kind of walk through this morning so far, that God has you here for a reason, that what we're going to talk about today is very important for you. And it really could represent a a shift that could happen on the inside that could radically reshape the way that you look at life, all right? So I'm going to go back through a principle that we talked about for the last few weeks. I call it the principle of the umbrella, That to get over what God has put under us, we must get under what God has put over us. Now, represented in that statement is the sincere belief that God designed you to overcome in life. That there are things that just as the Bible describes in 1 Corinthians 15, that God put everything under the feet of Jesus. That there are things that are in your life that you have struggled with, that you have wrestled with, that God designed them to be under your feet. But just like it talks about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus, when he had been given everything, when all things were placed under his feet, he put himself under the authority of the Father. That we must get under the things that are over us. And the truth is that all of us have things that are in our lives. We have authority that has been placed in our life. And we must get under what is over us so that we can get over what is under us. We see kind of maybe the most comprehensive teaching on authority in Romans 13, where the Bible says this is the the Apostle Paul writes the church in Rome. He says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Everyone, I don't know if y'all realize this, but there is no, like, you're not one. (laughs) It's everyone. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. I know some of y'all going, but you don't get it. I mean, Paul, I realize Like, that's the way it should be, but you know what? You don't realize how bad it is here, right? You don't realize how bad my boss is. You don't realize how bad my husband is. But, Paul, you really don't get how bad America has gotten. And this book that he writes that we now, it's a letter to the church in Rome. Let me just remind you of the circumstances. First century, right? The church in Rome has its brothers and sisters are being executed publicly in the middle of coliseums as spectacle and sport. I realize it's bad, but it ain't that bad. And to that church, 
He said, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Today I'm gonna talk about our bosses. And I know some of y'all, when I say boss, y'all go, Lord, please don't talk about that man. (laughs) And I think maybe the way that we think about bosses shifted a little bit. And actually to talk about that, I'm gonna let the world's best boss Michael Scott from Dunder Mifflin, describe the way that we think about boss. Y'all look at this with me. Remember when people used to say boss when they were describing something that was really cool? Like, those shoulder pads are really boss, man. Look at that perm. That perm is so boss. It's what made me want to become a boss. And I looked so good in the perm and shoulder pads. But now boss is just slang for jerk in charge. <laughs> you know, statistically, 75% of employees say that their boss is the worst and most stressful part of their job. That means that tomorrow morning, three out of four of you that will go to work would say that the person that has authority over you at work is the worst part of your day tomorrow. I, how many of y'all know that there are really bad bosses, right? There are some bad bosses. I, I read some lists this week of some bad bosses, uh, like top 10 celebrity worst bad bosses. Paula Dean made the list. Y'all think, Paula Dean, what? She seems so nice. She makes one heck of a banana pudding. I mean, I know that. She's got to be nice at some point. But see, she got in trouble a few years ago in the, in the public eye. And and in one night, she made the decision to shut down her restaurant in Savannah. People who had worked there for 25 years, no information, just showed up for work the next morning and found out the place had been shut down. No severance, nothing. Y'all know there's some bad bosses out there. I got some stories. It comes from a, a group called Employee Surveys. They take anonymous surveys from groups of employees to get feedback for companies. And they have some awesome stories. Look at this. Uh, A worker told their boss of their dying grandmother and the time off that was needed. My boss replied, well, she's not dead yet, so I don't have to grant your leave. And I was told to complete my work day. Suffice to say, I did not finish my work day. That's a bad boss right there, isn't it? That's a bad boss. Look at this next one. I went to work and slipped on a wet floor. My ankle swelled up. My boss wouldn't let anyone take me to the emergency room until I finished processing the daily invoices. She told me to stop moaning, just put my foot up. Five hours later, she had someone take me to the ER, and it turned out that I had broken my ankle. That's a bad, bad boss. And this last one is my favorite one. The final straw for me was the day that he, my boss, told me, you would be much cuter as a girl if you lost some weight. I was subsequently fired when I responded that I may not be thin, but I can lose weight, and you will always be shorter than I am. Your hair will not grow back. (laughs) I mean, there are some bad bosses. And the thing about it is that in our hearts, the presence of weakness in leadership makes us long for a good boss. It makes us long for the good and perfect boss. But I've got some bad news for you today. It's the first thing in your notes today. There's no such thing as a good boss. 
There's no such thing. And I want to spend some moments just looking at that word good. See, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is asked a question. And when they end the question, they end it in a way that I think is not a bad way to address Jesus. They ask the question of Jesus and then they address him by saying, good teacher. I think that's a really good way to address Jesus, but look at what he says to them. Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Now, I don't know if you realize this today, but you ain't God. Y'all realize that? So Jesus just said, you're not God, you're not good. Only God is good. That's not me. I'm just relaying the message today. All right? You're not good. But so many of us, especially in the context of work, we look and we go, but they're not good enough. How in the world can this person who I see how weak they are, I see how broken they are, I see how, how manipulative and how frail their morality is. How can I really, how can I really follow this person? How can I? They're not right. They're not living the right way. But look at what Romans 3.10 says about this. It says, no one is righteous. No one. Righteous is the church word to describe the quality or state of being right. No one is righteous, not even one. I think there are a few reasons that we think we have a good boss. Because some of y'all in here, y'all think you, you think you've got like a good boss. And sometimes we think we have a good boss because the, the, I think the first reason that I see is that we're so far removed from them organizationally and relationally that we don't get directly impacted by their weaknesses. They're so far away from us that their weaknesses don't bleed over into our lives. And the second one, which I think this one is by far the most common, that their weaknesses are actually our preferences. Their weaknesses are actually our preferences. I can't count the times I've heard someone say, man, so-and-so is such a good boss. Why are they a good boss? Well, because they just leave me alone and let me do my job. Right? That's not being a good boss. As a matter of fact, uh, along the way in the journey, it is a, someone's authority in you and over you that has the capacity to challenge you to help you to grow, to point out the areas that are weak in you. You see, when we say they leave me alone, let me do my job, what they're saying is, is that they don't manage me. They don't challenge me. They're not helping me grow. Right? So they're weak in management. Their weakness is my preference. So I'm going to say this, and I want to spend a moment kind of expanding it. That all too often, we refuse to get under authority because we don't think the person in authority is good enough. See, there are people that are in your lives right now that have authority. It might be your husband at home. It might be your boss at work. But there are people in your lives that have authority. And far too many of us are looking at them going, but God, don't you see their weaknesses? 
Don't you see how broken and screwed up they are? God, how in the world am I going to get under this mess? How in the world am I going to submit myself to that? How can I follow this person? And we sit back and we keep saying, if only I could find that boss that is perfect. If I could find that good person, if I could find that good pastor, that good preacher, that good leader, if I could find that good friend, that good mentor, can I tell you that all the people that we idolize and look up, you get close to them, you're going to get to see their weaknesses. And you get close enough to actually have a relationship, their weaknesses will begin to impact you. Because it is really easy to admire somebody from a distance. But intimacy always reveals our weaknesses. And those people that God has given authority in your life, you always will have intimacy with them. And you'll always be able to see in and see how difficult their lives are. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to spend time for the remainder of this message, talking about how do we get under authority when it's somebody that honestly we say in our hearts, I don't know if they're good enough to have authority. I don't know that I can actually do that. I'm struggling because I see their weaknesses. I'm going to talk to you about that today. How do we get under that kind of authority? And it really begins with this reality that, number one, only God can give someone authority. Only God. That's exactly what we just read in Romans 13. That all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. Only God can give someone authority. And, and the truth is, is that authority is a resource that we are given to manage for the good of the kingdom. There are other resources that we're given along the way. We're given financial resources. We're given time. We're given talent. And for all of those things, those things that are going on in our lives that God has blessed us with, we must learn how to manage them so that we have the maximum impact in the kingdom of God. I love you too. I love Bono. I don't know if there's any you two fans in here today. But Bono one time, he said this. And if you've stepped back and he's, you know, very, very, very political and all of that kind of stuff. But you cannot deny the fact that he's tried to kind of had a positive impact in the world that we live in. He said something about the authority that he has gained because of the notoriety that the band that he's in has acquired. He said, celebrity is a commodity to be spent wisely. That statement is a recognition that when we're given authority, it's a resource that we must learn to manage. And I think that far too many of us are trying to gauge the way that people in our lives have managed their authority with the spectrum of good and bad. I hope that just a few minutes ago, I blew that up for you. I hope that that doesn't exist in your mind anymore. But there is a way that we should be evaluating the way that people live. It's really simple. Are they godly or ungodly? Because there's a truth that goes with that that I want you to get today. That sometimes an ungodly leader will lead you through a bad season. Because it will challenge you. And if nothing is challenging you, you won't change. Because the only way we change is through challenge. So many of us want to be comfortable. 
So many of us want that. And we try to evaluate the leaderships on the spectrum of good and bad, and we keep saying, but they're not good enough, God. But they're not good enough, God. I want you to understand this today, that there is no one that is good enough to earn authority in your life. There's nobody. Nobody is good enough to earn the authority in your life. As a matter of fact, y'all listen to me. This is vastly important. God gives authority and we give submission. God gives the authority. He places those people in authority in your life. And the way that we respond is by submitting to their leadership. I give willfully, I subject myself to the mission and vision that you have for me. And I think that there is maybe no greater case study of this than we see in 1 Samuel between the lives of two kings. The first one, King Saul, and the second one, King David. In 1 Samuel 10, we find the nation of Israel looking around them and saying, but God, God, I know that we don't have a king, but, and you're raising up prophets to speak to us, but God, if you could just simplify our lives and give us a king so we know who to look to. That would be awesome. And God, in his mercy, grants the request that they have. And he, through the prophet Samuel, picks Saul. Saul's a a tall and handsome guy. The Bible says that there was nobody in the whole land that was better looking than him. And he begins to lead Israel. And it's one of those things where, like, early on, he has massive victories. He seems to be very capable, but along the way, he starts negotiating his deal with God. Starts saying, okay, I'll do this much, but I'm going to kind of decide how I do the rest of this. You ever done that with God? You ever tried to negotiate? Oh, God, I know you want me to forgive them, but can we just wait a little while? Because it hurts too bad right now. Oh, God, I know you want me to tithe. God, pastor talks about that every week. But God, I don't have enough money. I just don't. My bills, God. You know I need cable. God, you know it. I got to have my cable, God. I can't miss a Panthers game. So why don't we just wait until I got a little bit more money, then I'll tie. You ever tried to negotiate with God? Saul does that. As a matter of fact, there comes this moment where God unleashes the wrath of Israel on a neighboring kingdom. And when he does, he gives Saul the marching orders of kill everything, every man, woman, child, every living thing. And in the wake of the battle, the prophet Samuel shows up to see how it went. And all the livestock remain. And he goes, Saul, what you doing? <laughs> What's up with this? God told you to kill everything. And Saul says, hey, but, but look, um, we're going to take these back and we're going to sacrifice them to the Lord. We're going to make a sacrifice. I know that God said, to, but here we're going to make a worship offering to God out of these things. And in that moment, Samuel drops one of the most important things ever said in Scripture on Saul. He says this in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Obedience is better than sacrifice. See, there's so many of us that are going, God, I know you want me to do this, but could you just look at this good thing I've done? 
God, God, I know you, I know you want me to tithe, but could you, could you look at how I bought this person's meal at McDonald's this week? God, I, I know you want to, you want me to forgive that person that hurt me, but, but, but would you look over here? Look at how I'm being a good mom today, God. God, would you look at me? And that's exactly where Saul's heart went. And he, Samuel says, obedience is better than sacrifice. And in that moment, God makes this remarkable change. And he sends the prophet Samuel to a little town called Bethlehem. He says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. It's really the equivalent of us going home today having dinner and all of a sudden Barack Obama's outside saying, all right, who's, who's in here? I'm going to select the next Supreme Court justice from one of your children. Because he says the next king is going to come from the house of Jesse. And he goes in and the sons are called in and he prays over each one. And God says, no, and no. But God, look at this one. He looks really handsome. No, no. Four times God says no. And in this really weird moment in this story, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, you got any more kids? Because God said, no, all these right here. And he goes, well, I got one more. But I didn't really think it'd be him because he's out taking care of the sheep right now. So they call in David. Samuel prays over him, and God says, this is the one. And so the oil is poured over him, and they pray over him, and he is anointed to be the next king of Israel while there is an anointed king of Israel reigning on the throne. You see, I think there's some of us in the room today that we feel a little bit like David. We know that in our hearts... God has given us a vision, and it's bigger than, than you are, where you are right now in life. And I think that as we look at his life, we're going to see the way that we get from where we are, even when our family has passed us over, even when the people that we love have never recognized it in us, if we sense that God is doing something, David's going to show us how to get there. And it really comes with number two, that honoring the authorities in our lives will elevate or reveal their character. Will elevate or reveal their character. You see, the two sides of those are both helpful. A lot of times when we sit down to do marriage counseling, the wives will go, hey, listen, I, there's no way I'm going to, listen, he, I ain't going to do this. You, you don't live with this guy, all right? And they begin to talk about their husband in a way that I'm like, why are, why are you talking about him that way? You're talking about him like he's right here. See, a lot of times honor and character work a lot like the principle of a cork in the bucket. If you'll start giving him honor, the level of his character more often than not will begin to raise. So I believe that a lot of the times, even with the leaders in our lives, that God's plan for how we're supposed to navigate our relationship with them always centers on honor. And as we honor them, typically it will elevate their character, but sometimes it will reveal their character. This is going to happen 
between David and Saul. See, not too long after David is anointed, the Lord makes this decision. All right, whatever's going on with Saul, I'm going to make it happen quicker. And he sends a tormenting spirit. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? I don't want a tormenting. I'm sure you don't either. But that's exactly what the, the, the spirit of the Lord allowed to happen to Saul. And he's being tormented. And some of the priests say, you know what I think could help? If we could provide an atmosphere of worship in here, if we could find someone who's a skilled worship leader, while they worship, the Spirit of God will inhabit this place. And as the Spirit of God inhabits here, that spirit that is tormenting you will leave. And Saul goes, that sounds like a great idea. Y'all know any worship leaders? They go, well, we've heard about a guy. He's from a little town called Bethlehem. His name is David. So they go and approach David. David, would you come and worship in the throne room of the king for the king so that he can find some peace? And do you know what David said? Yes, sir. I will. He didn't say, I'm going to be the next king. No, he should come here and tell me that he's going to follow me. He doesn't say any of that. He submits himself to that request. And he goes there and he begins to worship and Saul finds peace and rest in the presence of David's worship. Not too long after that, we we see another story of David willfully submitting himself to other authorities. It actually begins with an odd request from his dad. While his brothers are off, having given themselves to be a part of the, the kingdom of Israel's army, David is at home serving his dad, and his dad says, you know, I need you to do something for your brothers. Would you take them some cheese and some bread? And he sends them on a mission to go feed his brothers. So David goes all the way to the front lines as the nation of Israel has assembled across the street from the Philistine army. And in those days, the way that it worked in battle is that oftentimes, instead of having a massive conflict, they would take the best warrior from one side and the best warrior from another side and just say, hey, y'all go at it, and whoever wins, wins this whole thing. That way, not all of us have to die, just one, right? And that's how they would do it. And the Philistines had this massive guy named Goliath. He's over seven foot tall, and every morning he would come out, and he would make fun of Israel. And then he would make fun of the God of Israel. And David just happens to show up when Goliath is talking. And he says, who is this heathen that that is trashing the name of our God? Aren't any of you going to do anything about it? No, they're scared. So he goes to the king and he says, if you'll let me, I know nobody else will, but I'll fight him. In the quiet, as I've taken care of my dad's sheep with nobody looking, a bear has attacked and a lion has attacked and I've protected. I'm not afraid of him. So without armor or a sword, David enters the ring with the Goliath of his day. And the Bible records that with one shot of a smooth stone, he sank it deep into the forehead of the giant. As he fell down, he unsheathed Goliath's sword and cut his head off. And at that moment, David became a household name in Israel. And at that moment, Saul became jealous of David. 
So Saul realizes that there is something happening with this figure David. He seems to be growing in authority, notoriety. I've got to do something about that. So a part of the reward for killing Goliath was that he would get to marry one of the king's daughters. So he gives him this task. David, for my daughter's hand in marriage, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go bring me back 1,000 Philistine foreskins, which sounds like a horrible job. And if you don't know what a foreskin is, don't Google it, okay? (laughs) Don't Google that. It won't go well. All right, so he sends him out with this ridiculous job thinking, all right, if David goes out to do this, what will happen is he'll be killed in battle. But you know what David does? David not only goes out and kills and brings back 1,000, he brings back 2,000. He honors a request that was meant to kill him and comes back with twice the amount that he was asked for. So I want you to understand that in that moment, Israel began to sing a song where they said, Saul has killed us thousands, but David has killed us tens of thousands. And Saul's heart shifted, and from that moment, he wanted David dead. As a matter of fact, in a personal conflict between them one time, he took out his spear and threw it at David. And I don't know if you've got a bad boss or not, but unless he's throwing spears at you, you hadn't got to the point that David is. Because all the way through this, as Saul's character begins to be revealed, David refuses to stop honoring him. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a couple times that when he's on the run for his life that he could kill him, he says this, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I want you to know a few things about this, about the revelation of sinful character that every one of us has sinful character traits that are hidden in our hearts. Every one of us has that. There are some of you that have things that are right now in your hearts that you don't even know they're there. You can't see it. Right now, you're making, some of you making a conscious decision to, I don't want to face that. I don't want to deal with that. And here's the truth about it. When sinful character is revealed, it's an opportunity to repent. When sinful character is revealed, it's an opportunity for us to repent. And every point along the way, when Saul's character was revealed, instead of repenting and turning his heart to God, he continued to turn his heart to his own methodology and purposes. As a matter of fact, if you compare him side by side to David, David is probably going to do much worse things along the way. There's going to be this moment where David is hanging out on top of his house. He looks out and sees a very vulnerable woman who's bathing and says, would you bring her to me? I want her. And she's married. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, j- let's just get rid of her husband. Send him to the front of the lines so that he'll be killed. But every time David's sinful character is revealed, he repents. He turns to God in repentance, which is why the Bible is going to say of David that he was a man that was after God's own heart. So I want to tell you today, when it comes to the way that we look at leaders, don't look for the perfect leader. As a matter of fact, look for a leader who is willing to repent. Look for a leader who's not 
the kind of person who's, I've got it all together, I'm perfect. Look for the leader who's quickly to say, I'm sorry, no, we, we tried that, it didn't work. You know, that person. And look for that, especially in the people that are leading in your lives. So we've got some wives here that you have, you have in your mind, you have struggled with your husband because he's not perfect. But in his imperfections, he's been repentant and his heart has been easy to God, moldable to God. I want you to understand, you've got a good husband if he repents well. So important to look for that. And last, number three, the way that we honor authority is connected to how much authority we can manage. See, David, all throughout this process, is going to have every chance to go, no, I was the next. I'm next up. God said me. I'm taking it right now. But he refused to do that. He refused to. He continued to honor and elevate the authority that God had placed over him. And some of us are sitting there going, I can't, I can't get over the things I know I should be able to get over right now. And the problem is, is that you have not been willing to get under the things that God has placed over you. I want you to see this today, that faithfulness will release victory in your lives. Faithfulness to the authority that God has placed over you will release victory in your life. If you're a kid in here, that means being faithful to your parents. If you're an employee, that means being faithful to your boss. If you're a husband or a wife, it means being faithful to each other. See, faithfulness is not just a behavioral thing. Faithfulness is something that happens in our heart and then in our mouths and in our heads. So my question is, when you're sitting around with the ladies at lunch, Do you talk well of your husband when he's not there? Are you faithful to him even in his absence? Are you the kind of employee that when the boss isn't around, you'll complain about him? You'll put him down? Are you the person that guards it? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not playing that game. Because the level of authority that you are willing to submit yourself to is almost directly equal to the kind of authority that you can live in over the things that God has placed under you. Jesus tells this story in Matthew 25. It's called the parable of the talent. He describes three servants who are given different amounts of money, one just very little, a medium amount, and then a large amount. And the servants are given the task from their master master to go out and, and to multiply and invest what they're given. And the two who get the medium and the large amount, they do that well. They come back in, they doubled their amount when the master returns. But the one who was given one, well, he says, you know, master, I know that you're kind of a difficult guy. (laughs) I know that you asked me to do this, but here's what I decided to do instead. I went and buried it so I didn't lose it. I went and hid what you gave me. And he says, depart from me for you're wicked. But you know what's interesting that he says to the other? He says, you know, you've been faithful with a little, so I will give you much. You've been faithful with a little, so I will give you much. 
See, I want you to understand today that the way that we honor the authorities over our lives is directly connected to the way that we live in victory over the things that God has put under us. So I'm going to ask you this question as we get ready to close. What are you hiding today? What are you hiding? What is it in your life that you're hiding from God and saying, nope, I'm, I'm not giving you that, God. Nope, I'm not bringing that under submission to you. No, God. I know, I know that you have a plan for my finances, but no, I'm not doing that. No, God, I know that you want me to be forgiving and gracious, but I really enjoy holding grudge. No, God. And maybe today, it's all of you. You've been hiding from fully committing your life to Jesus. And right now in this moment, this is the time that God wants to get a hold of all of you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. God, we thank you that you are so good to us. God, you have challenged us. You have given us opportunities to grow. Some of those have not been easy, but Lord, right now, there are many of us that are in the room that as we have looked at the things of life, in so many ways, we have stepped back from wholeheartedly surrendering ourselves and submitting ourselves to an authority that you have in our lives. In some ways, we've started to do a lot like Saul, where we've negotiated with you. And God, today, I just pray that it would be in our hearts that we would receive that obedience is better than sacrifice, that you're not looking for our good deeds, you're looking for us to faithfully follow you. And that as we faithfully submit ourselves to you, getting under your authority will align our lives for victory. So with every head bowed, nobody looking around except me, I want to ask you a question right now. If you're that person in here and you know that you've been hiding yourself completely from God, but right now God is speaking to your heart, He wants you to fully let go. Just say that right now, God, I'm going to surrender to your will and your way in my life. Raise your hand if that's you right now. Awesome, I see those hands. Who else is here that would say that today? I see that up front. Who else? Who else? Now I'm asking another question. If you're here today, maybe in a relationship, maybe at work, maybe in life, you've been struggling with the authority that God has put over you. And right now, you recognize that it's God's plan that you humbly submit to it, that you give your whole heart to following, and that God is going to use your submission maybe to elevate that circumstance and maybe to change it. And right now, you just want to say, God, I'm tired of running from that. I'm going to give it to you. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. Awesome. So, God, for those of us that are here today, those of us that need to let go of all of the things that have been so gross and ugly in our hearts, where we've rejected your work in us, and today, God, we're just saying, come in and change me. God, we thank you for that. Thank you for those decisions that are here. And for those of us that are here today, that are willfully going to get under what you have put over us. God, I just pray that you would take today and mark it as a day of victory in our lives for your kingdom to grow in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. 
For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.